Okay. Well, I have a seven-point sermon this morning, so let me pray for you all. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you that you are the word who took flesh and made himself known among us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May we be drawn ever closer to you, Lord, to follow you, to serve you, to bear witness to you, to make you known. And we say, come Holy Spirit, help us in these things. Speak to our hearts afresh of your goodness, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So I want to reflect on this passage from the opening of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Although interestingly, it's from Paul and Sosthenes. Anyone know who Sosthenes is? <clears throat> well, if you go to the book of Acts, you'll read about him because he was one of the leaders in the synagogue who, upon the preaching and ministry of Paul, was taken by the Jews and beaten. Presumably because he came to faith. And here we see him now with Paul writing back to that community. Quite extraordinary, isn't it? Telling about the wonders of God. Out of the brokenness. Anyway, it's primarily known as Paul's letter. <clears throat> but before we get into that, just, um, yeah, and I'm going to call this enriched in every way, really taken from that reminder by Paul that in Christ Jesus we have been enriched. You are rich. This week I was chatting with somebody and they were telling me about how through the course of some of the teaching we've been looking at, they were challenged to, to reconnect with a friend, somebody they know and might bump into and occasionally say, you know, let's get together, but never followed through. And we, we sometimes have a tendency to do that, don't we? Good intentions. However, she felt that she wanted to do that and so um, reached out, met with, and how the Lord blessed that because they had an opportunity to connect and hear one another's story and realize some of the struggle of life and enter into a space which is really sacred in which we get to care for one another. When we take that kind of initiative, we are most like our God. Everything we read today is about God taking initiative, not just having good intentions, but acting out of love to connect. Now, I wonder how you see yourself. One of the challenges in that, that call to be one who would go and move and give is that we don't feel sometimes we have anything to give because we look at ourselves and think who'd want to. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as rich or poor? Sometimes the way we grow up, the environment we grew up in, we didn't have a lot of money when we grew up, weren't particularly conscious of that because it was just our normal I became slightly more conscious when I wanted to go on a skiing trip at the age of 13 and was told, well, get yourself a job and fund it yourself and you can go. And I was unable to do that. But God wants us to be shaped not only by the families in which we grew up, but the new family into which we have been born. It's his family in which he is the father and he's a good father. And that is why he's given us his word. <clears throat> Initially, he gave us his word, the written word. Then he sent his word, his son. And then others who were touched by that word wrote about that word in the New Testament. And we have in this book a gift like no other. Extraordinary that a book written over a period of probably some 1,500 to 2,000 years 
by a number of different authors, different styles of writing, yet a consistent message that has come down to us. Men have died to make this book available to you and I in a language we can understand. I've got a little video here, which hopefully you find encouraging and perhaps a little challenging. Now, the Bible, the Scriptures, are one of the ways in which God speaks to us. It's a living word. It's a source of light to our lives. It's meant to lead us to Christ. In fact, Jesus had strong words for people who studied the Scriptures, but yet refused to come to Him to have life, because these are the Scriptures, He says, that testify about Me, but you refuse to come to Me. In Christ, we are told, and Paul reminds us, we have been enriched in every way. He's writing to the community of Corinth. It was not a perfect church. But that isn't where Paul started. It's not where we're supposed to start. Here was a church divided seriously over personalities. They were carnal, worldly, immature in their faith. There was sexual immorality that they didn't seem to care about. A man had his father's wife. There were believers, unable to be reconciled, taking each other court to court to sue one another. There was greed and drunkenness, even at Holy Communion. In their worship, it was chaotic. And yet, Paul says, you have been enriched in every way. Isn't that extraordinary? What defines you? Do you allow God to define you? Through His Word and His actions. So, my seven points. As we allow that to be a relative, this should be the fruit of that. Firstly, that we, we would become an empowering presence. I always thank God because, for you because of His grace given to you. We've been given abundant grace to be an empowering presence. The fact that you've received grace, that there's an impact in your life, that the Spirit is at work, is a testimony to the truth of the Gospel, Paul says. It's the only sign that this Gospel is real, that you are changed by grace. The experienced reality of the Spirit. This is the sign of the, the New Covenant. This is the sign of what it means to be a Christ follower, living into the fullness of life that God wants for us. That daily we would walk in the Spirit who has been given. So much so that we are compelled to be grace givers, not just recipients. What does that mean? It means we show mercy. We forgive. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Are we those who quickly forgive? Are we those who, rather than pointing out people's faults, as Paul could easily have done, speak words of approval, affirm, build up one another? We'll come back to that. Somebody once said that the only true understanding of the gospel or interpretation of it is a community of people who believe it and live by it. If we don't become that community, then this gospel has no merit and no value and no reality. And that's a part of... Of course, there is a testimony of God at work in this place. But this light is to go beyond this building. My heart and vision is that our homes would be households, like lighthouses, houses of light. People in our neighborhoods would know there is grace at work in this family and the community of which they are a part. 
because our very presence empowers people to believe and to see and to hope once more because of the reality of the message at work in us. Secondly, live into your God-given purpose. Live into your God-given purpose. In Him, you've been enriched in every way for purpose. You've been sanctified elsewhere, Paul says. That means you've been made holy. Does it matter? Well, it does matter. But you're not defined, remember, by how good you are. That is the old way. Do I measure up? Rather now, in Christ Jesus, you're defined by His holiness. We are sanctified in Him. We are made holy in Him. To be holy means to be set apart for a purpose. It is not your life. You were bought at a price. Part of that purpose is to, to bring forth, to usher in the day of Christ when the kingdom will fully come. That's a grave responsibility, but a wondrous opportunity perhaps too. <clears throat> Part of our purpose is to bear the very glory of God. I've written about this a lot recently. Which means His presence, remember. The experienced reality of the Spirit in me means God is in me. Which means I'm a grace giver. Which means, this is wondrous stuff, isn't it? This is mind-blowing because it's beyond our understanding. To bear His presence means we're kind. We're hospitable. We love. We have a team coming in from Chicago at the end of March. I'm pretty excited. Some of the guys went on retreat last year and the leader of that community, Louis Clark, came and shared. But I want all of you to hear. Just not because this, this is the thing, but because God is doing something through those simple actions of hospitality, friendship, and love. These are the markers of our God-given purpose and calling. In Colossians, Paul says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles those who are apart from God, outside of the covenant of promise, but to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God chose to reveal the mystery of His purpose through you, Paul writes, because of His presence in you. Man, does this stir us. Does this invite us into a different revelation and understanding and identity? Are you rich or are you poor? I read recently, people with purpose live longer. We don't do well if we have no sense of purpose in life. If we're wandering aimlessly. If we have no hope. But the Christian has the greatest hope ever. Born again into a living hope through the resurrection but not just so that we might be saved, but that we might be engaged and involved in the salvation of the world. This is the mystery, hidden, now revealed. It starts, at, it starts in here, it starts at home. Understand and live into your God-given purpose. Thirdly, speak words that edify and comfort. God has enriched us with all kinds of speech. That doesn't mean we just all have different funny accents and speak different languages. But God reveals Himself through words spoken, through the Word which took flesh in a human being. You see, Jesus in a way is the archetype for all of us. 
Jesus of Nazareth, in whom dwelt the Spirit of God, the, the Christ, the Eternal One, the God-man He becomes. And yet in many ways, that is the same invitation that is given to us. That we get to speak words, words of power. Now the tongue is capable of words that are not so powerful. Well, they're very powerful, but they're very destructive, is what James wrestles with. You've got to tame the tongue. It's the same tongue that can bless and that curse. As Christians, indwelled by the Spirit of God, we are not to curse one another. Be careful with those things. We've been given gifts, he says, of tongues, of interpretation, gifts of teaching, gifts of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, of prophecy, of discernment of spirits. And these are all vital that we would speak the mystery and the wisdom and the blessing of God to one another and to the world. The, well, he goes on to say, the manifestation of the Spirit, that means the people of God in whom dwell the glory and presence of God open their mouths and out comes the Spirit's words, not involuntarily. This is as we cooperate. This is as we listen and choose to speak boldly and confidently. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, if I choose to withhold and hang on and keep quiet, I'm hurting not just myself, but the body, the world in fact. Maybe even grieving the Spirit who's itching to speak through me. But often we say, well, I'm, I'm afraid I might get it wrong. Well, who are you? Who are you looking to? Who is your source of strength? Are you rich or are you poor? The revelation is given so that the lie of the enemy that discounts you and says you're no good or unworthy or if you mess up, that's it. These are all lies. And the church has been kept quiet for millennia because we believe the lies rather than the truth. And the Word of God is to help us come back to the truth in Him and Him in us. Loosen your tongues to bless, to build up, to encourage. That leads me to my fourth point. We're going swiftly, aren't we? You're very excited. <laughs> Use knowledge to build up others in love. You've been enriched in every way with all knowledge. Knowledge is a significant thing, particularly in that part of the world at that stage. Um, debates, discussions around philosophy, the love of wisdom and knowledge. But knowledge is to be expressed and used in love for the building up. Knowledge can be used to abuse and condemn quite easily. Paul has to address this. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, makes you proud. But love, edifies, while love builds up, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Those are pretty harsh words, aren't they? You see, it's the intent that we have. Yes, it's there's nothing wrong with eating 
meat that has been sacrificed. It's not what goes into the mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out of their mouth. Jesus had said. However, somebody may misinterpret that, misunderstand that, not have as much knowledge, and you can lead them astray just because you want to prove that you have a right to do this. Reminds me of um, the great state of Texas. And it's part of the United States where part of the Constitution is the right to bear arms. There are over 50 million licensed firearms in Texas alone. That's about one for every four or five people. Sorry, four or five for every person. And we were there and we didn't have any, so maybe if you have a few more. There were stories of people carrying an automatic, automatic weapon into Starbucks to get a coffee because they had the right to do so. Terrifying. Women, children, mothers, men. You see, we can use that which is our right without love and destroy. Be careful about those things, Paul says. We are gifted to walk in love. And that's going to be about the state of our hearts. This is why we've got to address what is in our heart. Are we free? Are we allowing the Spirit to lead us into freedom by renewing our minds and by healing our hurts and our fears and our anger? Number five, don't stop at gifting, but pursue maturity in the use of the gift. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. This is the extraordinary thing. God has given us everything that we need for godliness. This community, Paul looked at them and said, God has bestowed upon you. He has given into you through the the, the indwelling Spirit every gift. This was a community rich in every way. But they didn't learn how to use the gift. And there is a huge difference between being gifted and being mature. And God in His wisdom chooses to gift the immature. From birth and from new birth, God gives His gifts. He's so generous in that way. And He invites us in the context of first family natural and then family spiritual to learn how to grow and mature, to use those gifts in a way that honours others, that blesses others, that builds up the body. But there was abuse in Corinth. Paul didn't want God to take the gifts away. He wanted to encourage them to mature. And in the great chapter of love, it's interesting that, um, that he should write about love to Corinth. The chapters often used at marriages and such, such places, although there are some things that are a little bit strange when marriages of people who aren't even Christians have this read, I always think, because it's got to be understood in the context in which it was written. <clears throat> in Corinth was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. And there were a thousand temple prostitutes Because one of the ways you encountered God was through sexual activity. This is the context in which Paul speaks. This is why the testimony of the Gospel is a life change from that to this kind of love. God is not afraid of that. Paul was not afraid of that. But there was a spiritual battle, believe you me. It's no less today. 
It's no less today. But the invitation is that we would become mature. This means that we would grow up in Christ. This means that we would grow in our understanding and our knowledge. This means we would get free from some of the old patterns that perhaps we grew up with that have shaped us to allow the Spirit of God to shape us around the new family and the new way of being. The example that Christ has given to us all. This means that we would allow our hearts to be touched and to be healed. That we would not carry around with us the, the, the pain and the bitterness and the sadness of years gone by such that it controls us. I've had the opportunity over the last 15 years to sit down with so many people who live consumed by the pain of the past. It is grievous to them because there's no freedom in it. But it's scary to let go when I'm so used to it. And yet that's the invitation. Do I live with fear about the future? Am I consumed by that? Or have I chosen to put my trust in the one who is eternal and who's promised to provide everything that I need to be with me, whatever I have to endure and face? And yet many, if it's not the pain of the past, it's fear of the future. These are signs of immaturity. Not performance-based. Remember, this is not performance-based. This is about relationship. This is about drawing nearer to Christ and hearing, receiving His Word and His truth and allowing it to become our truth. And we discover that most in the context of community. Deep, committed friendships and relationships. The very thing we're most petrified by. In fact, my daughter, she lives in Austin, my youngest, she said, my friends don't believe in covenant relationships. They don't believe you can stay with the same person for life. It is a sad reflection on our culture when people lose that kind of hope for this is what we were created for. And it's because they've been hurt. It's because their parents have split up. They see it all around them. And so we'd rather live together anticipating that some stage we'll fall out and separate but maybe it'll be less but it'll hurt just as much. And it's in that kind of context that the Gospel has the tremendous opportunity to be a testament of the reality of how powerful God's love really is to change the human heart. We don't give in to that kind of reality because God's reality is greater. And we help and encourage, not condemn, not judge, but invite others to experience something of this depth. Number six, live with the end, sorry, have I done this one? No, no, I didn't. Number six, live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. He will keep, sorry, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why covenant is so important. This is why we gather around a table to remind ourselves and to participate in a covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement which God himself has done everything towards and simply invites us to share in the benefit and blessing of. A covenant says this is unto death. This is for life. This is unto eternity. I will never, I will never leave you. These are words of life which we are to be changed by. 
and we are to extend to one another. It's hard. But this is about the faithfulness of God. The very faithfulness of God which we yearn for and we can rest upon. Grace brings us to life, but it's grace that sustains us in all of life in this journey as Christians. We can never remove ourselves from the total dependency upon God for day to day. His, our very breath comes from Him. And yet very often as believers, you know, we, we can come into the, the wonder of this salvation and be thankful for all God has done and then we try to walk it out ourselves. We, re- we rely upon ourselves. The moment I say, oh, I can't do that, what are we doing? We're relying upon ourselves and we're saying, I can't do that. Well, you weren't meant to do it yourself. If God calls you, His Word says, He will equip you. He will remain faithful to you. Why are you struggling to believe that? That's the reality. It's the head game. And fears are fueled by faulty thinking, lies, the controllers. Now, don't be condemned by that, but understand that's why you need light and truth. That comes from this book. As the Spirit enlightens and His people reinforce. That's why the Christian living his Christian life out in the mountains and in nature is in danger. We need one another because we are prone to deception so easily. And the promise of God is that His Spirit will not only sustain us, but He will bring us to maturity if we yield to Him. (laughs) And that's how we entered the Christian life. And then we start to realize what that really meant. Can I take some of that back, Lord? We got married. Tomorrow is our 41st anniversary. Back January 20th, 1979, I I, I, um, expressed my vows and my undying love to Carol. I had no idea what that meant. I knew what I desired and wanted. But you see, it's living the life that we suddenly discover what it means to love and how we need help. And I've been blessed by her sticking by my side through thick and thin. Being confident of this, Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you confident in that? Because that's his promise. Take it to the bank. Well, take it to him. (laughs) And say, Lord, you promised this. Help me. Finally, preserve the unity of the Spirit. God is faithful and he's called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the gift of salvation. Not to go to heaven, but fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unity. Oneness. It is the greatest gift because in Him is everything and in Him is our life. Fellowship with Christ is both the means and the goal. John writes this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, to have fellowship with God means we fellowship with one another. That's why John says you can't say you love God who you can't see but hate your brother who you can. 
You're deceived. The truth isn't in you. You cannot separate those two things. Love for God and love for your neighbour. That's why Jesus put those two things together. Because God is in the midst of those two things. He is those two things. Our fellowship with one another is full of Him. And the invitation is to fellowship with people like those from Corinth who are messed up. But as we do that and as we walk together and as we choose to be in covenant relationship with one another, guess what? The Spirit does His work. That is the mystery. That is the wonder. And that's why unity, love for God and one another, Christ was not divided. That's why Paul is so aghast that people are dividing in the church because one follows Paul, one follows Cephas, one follows Christ. We've got Methodists, we've got Baptists, we've got Anglicans, we've got Pentecostals, we've got First Baptists, Second Baptists, Third Baptists, I don't know how many Baptists. But we've got all those everywhere. Is Christ divided? No. And the world looks hard and thinks, you want me to come into that organization? Lord, have mercy upon us. But it starts with us. Change me, Lord. Change my heart. And that's why when we do things like reaching out to somebody, taking the initiative, strengthening a relationship, we are doing one of the most godly things we can do, I would suggest. When we resolve issues directly, face to face, we allow the truth to come out, we confess and we acknowledge our wrongdoing and ask for forgiveness, rather than gossip about it, talk about it, be upset with somebody else about it, which is toxic and spreads. That is not our call. That is not Christ's way. We are called to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians. Well, that's my seven. And as I reflected on those, just as we were worshipping earlier, it's just like the, the Spirit reminded me. These things to which we are called are everything that we see in the Lord Jesus. This is what He represented. This is how He lived. This is what He modelled before us. This is what we read in the Scriptures. This is the invitation for us to become like Him, to grow up into Him who is the head. And this happens as we're connected. Sinews and muscle and tendon. Acting and reacting. Giving and forgiving. The Spirit makes us more like Him. So here's my invitation. Let's put the list of the seven back up on the screen, Gene, if we could. I know you got ahead of me, didn't you? Which one of these might the Lord be putting his finger on for you that he wants to nurture and grow more in? Because none of us have this all together. Which one of those would you like to grow more in? Delight yourself in the Lord, the psalmist says, and God will give you the desires of your heart. 